Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm here with Paul and Dan today. I am stoked about this episode because we haven't had Dan on in the longest time. And Dan was one of the guys that t- helped me learn.net back in the day, which is putting age limits on both of us. <laughs> no, you just made me feel really old. Thanks, Jeremy. Show's <laughs> over. Show's over. <laughs> yeah, we'll go. <laughs> How do we kick him out, right? Let's just hit the old dudes, you know, fireside chat. <laughs> so, Paul, we're going to, I'm really missing you because you're heading over to my home country yes. for a bit. Yes. Well, actually, I'll be at the European Collaboration Summit in Dusseldorf. Oh, nice. So folks who are at that conference, find me and say hi. Um, uh, so I have a couple of sessions that I'm doing there. So happy to chat with folks if you're there. But yeah, I won't be doing the podcast here. After Dusseldorf, it's goof off for a couple of weeks in Europe with the wife. So we'll, Good for I'll, you. I'll be on the podcast again sometime in June. But yeah, but yeah, happy to chat with folks at ECS if they're there. So if you see Paul, buy him a beer and a pretzel. And um, Dan, uh, for those of the people listening that um, don't know who Dan Moline is, do you want to introduce yourself and what you're doing at Microsoft and why people may have known you from, they'd be like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? <laughs> yeah, my wife would be like, they don't know anything about you. So <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I work with the cloud advocacy team. So I'm in the cloud developer advocate is the official title, I guess. And I personally spend a lot of time with Microsoft Cloud integrations. And by that, I mean integrations between Azure, Microsoft 365, uh, Power Platform, and uh, 2 Plus Cloud, we call it kind of internally. So that involves uh, getting to do, you know, talks at conferences or building out code samples and tutorials. Uh, I'll be honest though, Jeremy and Paul, I think I spend most of my time in meetings coordinating with other (laughs) product groups, but you know, such is life. The developer advocacy group is really come come to shine recently because I think one of the factors at Microsoft is like the product groups think about their product. Um, you know, I'm in the Microsoft Graph team. I focus on Microsoft Graph. But even if you think about the developer story for Microsoft 365, there's a whole other developer platform group in Teams and a developer platform group in SharePoint and OneDrive, you know, plus, plus, plus. And then you add Azure to that and Power Platform to that. And there's all these groups going out there thinking their world is the best thing since sliced bread. And I find the developer (laughs) advocacy group often, as well as build events, is the only place where we try and bring all that together and make it seem cohesive. So it's great that you guys are in that role full time kind of doing that and thinking about that and then calling us all on our, you know, the fact that we only think about our own worlds and that we should be thinking about these other things because that's what real people do in the real world. I, I think uh, the good news is all the product groups I work with are super cool to collaborate and they they definitely want things to be as cohesive across, you know, the Microsoft cloud as possible. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I actually find like a lot of the time you're introducing us to people that we're trying to find on the other side because you are that touch point across all of them. Yeah. Which is really neat as well. Um, so that really, really helps. Sure. That's uh, good to hear. So I have a question that let me interrupt here. So cloud advocacy group, how, how much of your your work is the product group saying we have this thing that isn't used or could be used? And how much is external folks saying, how do I do blah, 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 and you solve those problems? You know, it, it's a good mix. Uh, I get a lot of, I just got one this morning, actually, for Azure Communication Services. I work with that quite a bit um, to meet 
with a customer. And so it's, it's a pretty good mix. I'd say, I, I would say I mostly am talking internally probably, but um, there's a fair amount of, yeah, how do I do this? Mostly at like a more enterprise level, somebody at a company that has to make a big decision, but uh, a pretty good mix of that. I would say, you know, I, like recently uh, Chick-fil-A, which I, they didn't even give me a coupon. So this guy I talked to, if he's listening, where's my freaking coupon? And now I'm hungry. <laughs> no, but like, you know, them, uh, there's some uh, ISVs lately we've been helping out that have done some, they're doing some really cool stuff with actually some of the stuff we're going to talk about. That's really cool. And actually ISV is an acronym. Independent software vendor is very Microsoft-y. So for people not listening, basically an external partner that we work with that builds software on top of our products. Like like Paul. Like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, Jeremy, real quick, that's good you clarify because I've only been at Microsoft three years now. Well, in July, it'll be three oh, years. Changed. If there's you one turned. thing I've learned is we have no shortage of acronyms. Right? It is amazing how many internal acronyms there are. So <laughs> It is terrifying, and especially when different groups have this different acronyms for the same thing. And you're like, wait, are they talking about the same thing we are? Is that, is that tented? Like, are we meant to know about that? <laughs> So exactly can get quite confusing. I saw you tweeting and was like, I need to get him on to talk about this because you were talking about open AI and chat GPT, which obviously is flavor of the month for sure. And um, by the time this is published, uh, build will be starting the next morning in the keynote. And there'll be no surprises that artificial intelligence will be a heavy play in both the keynotes on day one and day two. And um, you would have maybe have watched Google I.O., uh, which was there's been some hilarious memes of uh, their CEO, Sanchar, saying AI, I think, like 16 times in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> I saw that. Something. <laughs> and I was like, OK, so oh, I guess we need to get on this train, but have someone educated on to talk about it with a real world scenario. And I looked at what you were building, again, bringing Microsoft Clouds together as one solution. But what you've built is realistic like it's not something that's just great demo where it's something that someone could actually genuinely use in a, a line of business app or even build it into a product so i guess back to the dev advocate angle did you come up with this idea and go this is what i'm going to invest my time in rolling up to bill like how did this come about <laughs> it actually came out because i have a talk coming up in june and normally well, maybe you guys are better than me, but normally if you have a talk in June, that means the week before the talk, you're like, oh, I have a talk. I better, <laughs> you know, I better get serious here. This one, though, um, I wanted to do something with it's it's an Angular conference called NG Conf, which, Jeremy, you've been there. That's right. That's where I met you, actually. The first time. That's right. Yeah. I think we had talked online, but that was our first yeah. in person. Oh, those were the, the good old days. So anyway, long story short, I wanted to do something Every time I've done a session there, it's always been like on a specific feature of, you know, like the platform or something like that. And I wanted to do more of a thought exercise this time, which, you know, we'll see how that goes. That might be, might, might turn out this was a horrible idea, but we'll hope it goes well on, hey, you know, we, we, we think so much about the tech and we think so much about, you know, in this case, Angular or React or whatever you're using and the APIs and the database. Right and maybe some cloud technology security. But when's the last time you actually sat down and thought through how could you, what are some of the things you could do to take your app to the next level? So for example, AI obviously has some very applicable things we could, we could talk about some of those or communication. 
you know, it's possible you could add audio video calling, you could add phone calls, you could add SMS, all of this can be added to your apps these days. Um, and it's surprisingly pretty straightforward to do. Or when's the last time? And this this one to me is the biggest one. As you know, Jeremy, I, I did you know consulting for like 20 years. And I'm sad to say I did not do consulting on Microsoft Graph. And I'll tell you why. I didn't know what I didn't know back then. We'll just call it ignorance. Um, I didn't realize how powerful. Now, granted, it wasn't around 20 years ago, but, you know, for how, how long yeah. has it been around? Do you know, Jeremy? When did- like, no, nah, nearly 10 About years 10? now. I think it was 2017 we announced it on stage. Okay. Yeah. So from that period on, we'll say, we'll call it ignorance. I just didn't look into it. But now that I have looked into it, I realize the power of avoiding uh, context shifts, we'll call it, with users and increasing productivity by saying, hey, you work in this app every day? Okay, well, instead of having to jump to Outlook or OneDrive or Teams or whatever, what if I was to bring in the related data that you're you know, working with right into the app? And so that's another one, I'm just calling it organizational data in this little demo I have. But it's such a powerful concept because again, you know, I click on like a datum corporation and then go, oh, I have an email about this, I know, or I had a meeting about this. And then I got to go find it, right? Well, we as developers can just bring that right into the app. And so that's another part of this app. That's really cool. Paul, I'm seeing you nodding. Did you have something to... Yeah, tw- I heard him say 20 years ago. Yeah, I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and I know I know, we're not talking necessarily about this, but the, the whole push recently about extending or writing apps that are in Teams, that are in SharePoint, that are in Outlook. It's kind of the inverse of what you're saying, but it's the same concept, right? Where are users spending their time? Let's get the data to them, right? And and so um, the thing that, that still struggled with me, I, I'm not quite sure if I'm writing a line of business app, do I want to do phone calls or videos? I, I get that you know, maybe it's a generational thing, but what's the scenario that I want to, I'm working in my CRM or whatever, and I want to make a phone call. I mean, is that, well, that's probably a bad one. I'm calling a customer, but that's the thing that's struggling with me. Um, and, and so can you talk, I guess we can either dive into the how, how things are done, but obviously without being able to see code, it's tough. So, so what, what other scenario is there for calling somebody within an app that maybe doesn't appeal to people? Absolutely. Yeah, no. I, and, and the short answer is not every app needs that. Obviously, I'll give you a real life one now. Well, let's start start with the simple ones. You just mentioned like CRM or custom, you know, sales type apps because there's not enough of those out there, right? We got to build more. <laughs> Is yeah, you could make it where you don't have to pick up your phone, you don't have to do anything. You can write in the app, just call that customer directly. The numbers there, you don't even have to type it, and you could talk to them just you know using your normal mic and whatever headphone setup you have. That'd be probably the simplest. Um, one that just came up, which uh, I instantly went, wow, I need this or they need this. Uh, we, uh, one of our AC units needed replaced. I live in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And given that summer's coming, having AC working is somewhat important if you want to like not die. It gets hot here. So anyway, they were uh, uh, up in the kind of attic section where the AC units are. And they were taking pictures and then they had to actually uh, do this with their phone, but then they have an iPad app, which had the uh, actual business app, you could say, where they look at parts and all that. Well, he's literally, I'm watching him do this because I'm up on, I'm standing up on the edge of the ladder, just peeking in. 
Make sure and he's not falling he, through the ceiling. Yeah, seriously. No, I mean, he's literally juggling his phone in his like his left hand, taking pictures. Then he's got his uh, iPad in his right hand, not with a, uh, you know, those little like things you can put on back that keeps it on your hand. Doesn't have one of those. And then in addition to taking the pictures and all that, he had to call because they had to see about the parts and stuff. Um, and so instantly I went, Here's a perfect scenario. You already have the iPad. You already have the app. How cool would it be? And, and by the way, in this case, audio video actually plays really well right, because right. he needs to show them some of the stuff, you know, that he took pictures of. So anyway, that that's one recently, Paul, that came up. I really think, though, even like a help desk app could benefit from something like this. Um, I, internally, I've had to reach out to our help desk several times, and I always have to come back and wait. And then eventually we do set up a, a meeting. Typically, it's in Teams. At least that's what I've done. But when I'm in the app I use, it'd be easier just to like, can we just talk now? Like, you know, or or open Teams for me. Click on a link that opens Teams and we start a call. I mean, th even that would be good. So I think it's any scenario where um, you have, I'll give you one more and then we can move on. I, I worked on a, 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 a timesheet app many years ago. I think it's a rite of passage. I think we've all worked on those timesheet apps. Biz <laughs> oh, time <sheet. laughs> was it BizCalc or one, two, three? <laughs> uh, it, it was built. Let me, let me, this is the, the technologies that shall not be named. You know, it was built in Silverlight. I don't know if you remember wow, those days, but uh, it was a killer app. It was at the time. And then, you know, things changed. But anyway, uh, there was two timesheet people. This was a big electrical contracting company. And as issues came up every like two weeks or whatever it was, these two people, what they had to do was then get in touch with the person who's out on a job, by the way, so they can typically just answer a phone. And again, back then, this wasn't an option, but nowadays you're already on that person. Just call them directly right there. Why do you have to like leave that app, run off to the phone or run off over to here or whatever? Just do it in the app and you keep your eyes where you're already focused instead of doing this. You know, people can't see me put my phone to my ear. <laughs> but anyway, we can go on. Uh, but I don't think it's definitely not appropriate for every app, the communication part. I mean, if you even talk about the internal support system we have, like we, we use ServiceNow to raise a ticket and, you know, there's a certain amount of email traffic that goes on. And then out of nowhere, some random person reaches out to your teams and I am and you're like, who is this? Oh, I'm about talking to you about this ticket. Can we chat here? So they're obviously, you know, breaking out of the process. And now none of that conversation that you've just had with that person is against the ticket. So if I ever say to someone, well, they didn't help me, that person's not really got an easy way of claiming that's gone on. And then in addition to that, they do call you and then you've got a conversation with them. What's stopping me in two weeks time when I've got a different problem, just pinging that person and asking for help, right? Like, so it breaks the process in lots of ways. And I think <clears throat> building it in context of the system you're in and the process you're in, in that case, a support ticket, super valuable to have calling and messaging directly built in there in that context so that, you know, people can't cheat and go around things. Even though you said it's not for every app, if it's if it's super simple to do, why not, right? I mean, if I if I can do it in a day or two, or you could. without having to re-architect re yeah. everything, yeah, that's a great add-on. I like it. Well, and the the nice thing, Paul, it's a great point. Is there's no reason you can't convert some of this into just a reusable library? You know, let's say you're doing Angular, React, 
svelte, whatever, that you could just have a feature flag or something that enables or disables and it is available, you know, in every app um, as needed. So, you know, one more thing, Paul, you mentioned uh, bringing apps into Teams, which is super powerful. I also, we're, I know we're not really going down that road because we're talking about standalone line of business apps, but um, that's a prime example of like getting all that info, like you talked about, Jeremy, just now, all in one place. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm in Teams nonstop. Yeah, and, and there's some stuff that like the Microsoft Craft Toolkit are working on with the Azure Communication Services people to bring the ability to easily snap in that team's conversation into a, an application UI. So, you know, potentially ServiceNow could use the MGG toolkit to put that team's conversation in directly with that support ticket. And so I think there's some really cool things that we're working on to try and bring that bring that together. Actually, that's a really good example of those two teams working together too. Azure Communication Services, we've had uh, David on a few times from the product group, but What's your take on it? What like you've just mentioned kind of calling and things, but what are some of the superpowers that you can add to an app with ACS? Well, obviously audio video calling or just phone dialing in general. Uh, SMS, which, uh, you know, that's one you don't want to go off on your own and try to do because now you need to know about telecoms and how that all works. And there's a lot more to it than you would think it turns out. Sending emails would be another one is you can use it uh, as a bulk email service. So uh, pretty much you can think of it, I'll, I'll just boil it up uh, into one communication. Really anything that's communication oriented would be ACS. And this uh, app that we talked about kind of pre-show that uh, for this, and then also I guess I already mentioned it with the talk coming up. So I'm building out this tutorial, which hopefully should be out by the time the podcast comes out or around then. Um, but you know, you can combine things like ACS communication with things like open Azure Open AI or uh, Microsoft Graph organizational data, because that all plays into obviously what you can do there. So yeah, I don't know if you guys want to go into that more, but I'll let you drive the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, you're saying tutorials, so that's going to be like learn.microsoft.com. Yeah full screenshot step-by-step. Step. Yeah, uh, learn.microsoft.com slash Microsoft-cloud. It's a brand new hub we just released. Yeah, Microsoft-cloud. Yeah, so GBT obviously has a lot of different things. Everyone has, you know, co-pilot this and co-pilot that, to, to borrow a phrase. But what do you, so part of this is, I got some devs back at the office who say, hey, this GPT stuff is great. I'm brand new to React and I can have it write some React code for me, right? And of course, alarm bells go <laughs> off, right? Or you're saying it can be helpful in a case like this. So just like we said, you know, where are people using communications? What do you see as something that is valuable, but yet not scary for a developer who's just coming into this kind of uh, open AI interface type of stuff? Uh, that's a great question. Um, first off, I, one of the best quotes I've heard, and I, I think I heard this from Todd Anglin, who actually I report up through, and he said something like, uh, uh, think of AI not as an autopilot, but as a co-pilot, which is thus the name co-pilot, I guess. Um, I think I use co-pilot, <clears throat> for instance, a lot. It's amazingly helpful, not only with code, but even writing documentation. It, it's kind of crazy how you can put like a comment or something or start typing a sentence. Um, I was just doing this last night because I'm 
kind of cramming to get this thing finished by build. And uh, it's popping out these sentences. Now, I think what you just mentioned, Paul, is really critical, though. Like, if you're new to these technologies, take what it gives you as a suggestion that you need to vet. <laughs> um, if you just take it as, you know, this is gospel. Oh, yeah, this must be right. Not a good approach because it's not always right. Um, that's why it's called co-pilot. You know, it's it's great at helping you pointing in the right direction. But I, I'll say almost always, not always, but almost always end up tweaking something or going in researching. I mean, the same argument when you were being Googling, getting Stack Overflow results and getting code snippets and throwing those into your code. Like you don't take those for gospel either. Like you're going to check them first. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I agree. You should. Oh, it's like, no, I just copy and paste. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on the phone to your boss, Wes, very soon, Paul. Um, but I think the the complexity of what ChatGPT can create is pretty amazing. Um, some of the demos I've seen. And again, I don't know how production ready they are, but they give you good, good, uh, good baselines for things that, you know, you'd be copying and pasting like crazy across different websites to do in the past for sure. Well, the, the scenario I'm using in this app, there's two and, and both of these, I would say everything comes with caveats. Like I, I think everybody, well, not everybody, but some folks out there, if you read Twitter are like, yeah, just, this is it. It knows it being AI. Um, and it, it's just, it works perfectly. And that's, it's just not the case. You know, you've all heard of the hallucinations and probably seen that where, you know, you get an answer back. I've seen this with code actually on like chat GPT where, uh, you know, it gives you back some code and then there's a property maybe you were looking at and you're like, no, that property doesn't even exist. And then it's like, you know, it'll be like, oh, so sorry, do this instead. So you got to be careful of that. But the scenarios um, I'm using this demo are, are two things I thought would be useful for business users. One is natural language to SQL. Now, I'll admit there's some DBAs that are listening that are going, ah, not going to happen, <laughs> you know, um, because it's, it's literally converting sentences into SQL that could then query your data store. So obviously, there's a lot of security and other considerations. You'd have to do that. But it does really well with that. Uh, if it knows your database schema or the tables you want to expose uh, and the columns. It, it's pretty good. It actually, it'll do the joins and um, you can even with the proper prompts, you can even parameterize the query so you don't have SQL injection attacks, you know, things like that. Now, the way I'm using that is to generate uh, email templates and SMS templates. So you could say like, you know, what's going on and uh, orders delayed five days, uh, offer 5% discount. And then it will automatically generate the subject and the email template and the SMS will be shorter, of course. And then you could use ACS to send them. And that's what it's doing there. So, so in instance, it's not just generating the query, it's executing the query against the database as well. Uh, no, no. Uh, that would be really so scary. You're doing that part. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, let's just... <laughs> no, it, it does the SQL. And then uh, what I've learned from doing this is you're almost always going to have what I'm calling post-processing code. Um, for example, Paul, you're really clever, let's say, which I'm sure you are. And uh, you're like, hey, let's try the drop statement. <laughs> 
right? Uh, or let's say, uh, show me all procedures, show me all functions, show me, you know, all the stuff you sh shouldn't be able to get to. It will do that for you. Even if you put a rule in the prompt says, do not allow showing tables, procedures, you know, stuff like that. There are cases where it will still do it. Well, it won't do it. It'll generate the SQL that would do it. Yeah, then you would have to run that. Right. So you have to take that, you know, run a little process, which I just have a whole bunch of keywords I run through and make sure it's not in there. If it is, I reject it, return empty string. And this is a demo. So this tutorial I'm building, I kind of, the goal is to show people like, even if you build the best prompt ever, there are unexpected outputs occasionally that you still have to account for. Um, so don't just jump into this thinking this is the answer. There's a lot of extra work you're going to have to do to ensure it's proper for your business. The comment I made is that the AI is not the subject matter expert, right? So they may know a lot, but you should probably run that through someone who, right? A DBA in your example, right? Even if it sounds good, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so in that case for that tutorial, like, again, I'm actually in the process of writing a tutorial for build as well this week. Nice. Prerequisites around that thing. Like I'm guessing Azure OpenAI, you need to sign up for that as well as having an Azure subscription. Uh, yeah, you'd have to have a Microsoft 365 developer tenant. Need that because we, we can talk about organizational data. Yeah, you need an Azure OpenAI. I do actually mm -hmm. support OpenAI as well, because right now, as of today, yeah. Yeah, with Azure OpenAI, there is a little yeah. bit of a delay getting access because you have to fill out the form, you know? So I, I think it's only like 24 hours or something like that, I heard. But still, you know, maybe you're like, I, I got to do it. So I provide a fallback that, hey, if you have this key, go ahead and then, but come back and do the Azure OpenAI. Uh, it's all TypeScript. In this particular case, uh, I had to choose something. So that's what I went with. And this one's a little different because uh, almost all the apps, and Jeremy, you can probably attest to this internally that we do our React base. And I've had some feedback like, hey, there are other things besides React. So uh, this one's actually Angular on the front end. Actually, talking to TypeScript, that uh, ng comp through our app all those years ago, it was like 2000. I can't even guess now. Um, that was when they announced TypeScript on stage and the Google, he was the head of Angular, was demoing everything in Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio Code had only been out like two months. And I remember all the press around that and even us being like, whoa, we're like here as Microsoft with a booth at a Google event and they're using TypeScript and Visual <laughs> Studio Code on stage. I'm like, what is happening here? Um, that was a long time ago. That it was, was like 2012. Yeah, and, and that was a huge moment uh, for TypeScript, the uh, if you go back and look at the npm like installs and stuff, it kind of went from flat to whoop to the you know sky's the limit. Yeah, it was such a cool event. So OpenAI, whether it's Azure or uh, Direct, what um, LLMs, large language language models, are you using, and why? Like, were there other alternatives you could have used? Like the Natural language to SQL, is that like just built in as a, into that language model you were using? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, th this is kind of the funny thing I've learned with models, because as, as you guys both probably know, the, the cost depends on the model you're using and, you know, it's all token based. And so the one we all hear about is, you know, lately is GPT-4, um, which supports more tokens and costs 
more as a process and is super powerful. But like in my case, and the reason I did is not everybody has access to GPT-4 as of today. So I did uh, GPT-3.5 Turbo, it's called. But there's some things like uh, I've actually tried the natural language to SQL. I can't remember if I did. I think I did ADA. There's ADA and Curie and these other models, you know, that are not as sophisticated, but still capable and they cost less. There are absolutely cases where like the natural language to SQL, where you can choose a lower model. And this is one of those experiments you would just have to do. And it actually generates good results. Now, I didn't do that because that just meant in the tutorial, you have to set up other models and it adds complexity. Um, because I did want the GPT Turbo uh, for the email SMS kind of template generator thing, because I, you know, that is you're outputting some English language in this case, uh, although it doesn't have to be English. That's what I went with, though, model wise. Yeah, but, you know, if, if I'm building like we talked at the beginning, how this might be corporate specific or task specific type of app and, and maybe a general model is not appropriate to Jeremy. Right. I mean, may, maybe if I want, you know, if I'm in the widget business, if I find a widget model, perhaps that's better for what I'm trying to accomplish anyway. So I think the, your point there is, you know, other models, I get that they're not in a, in a tutorial, but for listeners, it, it may make sense to do some investigation of what model would help me do what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and then there's all the other stuff that comes with it. There's embeddings with, you know, that's a vector uh, to find similarities between words, for example. There's all kinds of fun stuff with this. It, it's a fun field. I'll have to admit, I, I, three months ago, I hadn't really touched this stuff, to be honest. And I even talked to a guy who does live in this world. And uh, I, I told him up front, we had a meeting, and I told him up front, I go, hey, I'm, I'm pretty new to this. And he goes, guess what? We all are right. to this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's just, it's just so different. It's just changing so quick. So in, in layman's terms, because, you know, like not everyone has time to keep up with this stuff as it's coming. And I think it's happening so quick that you could invest a lot of time in 3.5 turbo and then GPT-5 could be around the corner and throw everything you've known before. What, um, what's the concept of a token? And, and can you like put it in context of this demo that you've built and like how many tokens you use for the demo to work to run the tutorial and the cost, you know, like not dollars, obviously, but just so you get understanding of like, you know, what you're going to be spending on something like that. Uh, well, I think the biggest bill I've had, and this is running through this multiple times a day. So not a good test case from, you know, like a thousand users or whatever, 10,000 users or whatever you have at work. But I think the most, my biggest bill, I think has been a dollar 12, something like that for the month. But again, that's just me. So it's kind of, so the way it works down, works out is a token in essence, it's, it's kind of like uh, four characters you could say, and this is an average. And so if you send it like a prompt that has, you know, a, I don't know, 250 words, it's going to chop that up into in, that's the input and the tokens. And then of course you have output um, for those. And there's actually a really good article. I'd have to, I'd have to find it. Uh, I know I tweeted it, uh, but it was one of our advocates wrote it on actually how tokens work. Um, it went into more, more details about that. I'd, I'd have to dig up the link. Yeah, let me, we'll put it in the show notes once you find it. Really, really uh, nice post, you know, short, sweet, straight to the point and clarifies a few things. 
But yeah, the general idea is they do this because earlier I mentioned some of the vector, um, like I just sum it up as uh, word or phrase similarities. And so by chopping things up into this, um, they can do all these kind of like machine learning type things we used to think of because the vector uh, databases are not really a new thing per se. They're just getting really, really popular right now. But like if I said run and you said jog, then in a vector scenario, we should be able to find that, oh, those are <clears throat> very similar terms. Whereas if we do keyword searches, those aren't going to match, obviously. So that's why the tokens come into play is they can chop those up, figure out the similarities, figure out the intent, even if you know you speak slightly different than I do, and then use that to perform the action. And that's where the tokens come into play. So if I ask where the restroom is and you're like, he goes, wait, you're American and you're Australian or English. And then you go, where's the toilets? Because Paul, <laughs> right. you're going to England for a bit. Or the loo or you whatever. You have to learn. Show me where the, yep. where's the loo. Let's write that down for when you get there. <laughs> and a guy at the office just referred to the gaffers. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> my French. But so I looked at I actually looked it up and there's three definitions. One is in the movie business. The second one is an old man. And the third one is the boss. I'm thinking, well, crap. <laughs> I'm two out of three, right? <laughs> Which one is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard yeah. that one. That's good. And then you mentioned about the email and SMS. So what's the, how are you using the turbo for that. Uh, so that just generates like you put in a couple of rules, like I said earlier, kind of like orders delayed or I'm just making these up, uh, you know, give a discount or whatever. And what it will do is just generate a short uh, subject and email message template for you. And then you could tweak it. And then when you hit send, that triggers ACS. And then likewise, it'll take the same exact rules, generate a short SMS message uh, and you can send that. Uh, through ACS as well. So I'm just, that one's a pretty straightforward, uh, like pretty easy to do. But what's kind of cool there is it really gets into, if, if anyone's interested, you can go to the uh, Azure OpenAI docs. And in there, they have uh, a prompt engineering doc. That's um, kind of like, it'll walk you through what it is, some of the best practices, things like that. But you quickly learn for those that haven't done this, the importance of being very specific on rules that you add. So like if you're going to send a customer email, orders delayed, you know, five days or two days or whatever, but then the person writing the rules that are going to be used to generate the email also say, we don't like you, um, please never contact us again. Then it'd be nice if he could have uh, GPT say, no, sorry, we got to keep a positive spin on this, you know, for, for work scenarios. And so that's where the prompt engineering kind of comes in and learning some of the different tricks you can do to make sure you're really clear. I, I, I would almost like be, it would almost be like if Paul, you know, if you were uh, like, I know you guys talk about hockey, I have to admit I sadly, we didn't have hockey growing up um, here in Arizona. It's super popular now. Too, too expensive to keep the rinks cold. <laughs> well, it's probably true. <laughs> now it's crazy. The, it, my next door neighbor, their kid, he's playing high school hockey. We literally didn't have hockey teams growing up. But I'm not as, I have to admit, I'm a little weaker in that area. I'll talk to you about football, American football or basketball or golf or tennis or something like that all day. But Hockey, I'm a little weaker on the terminology. So if I'm talking to you, Paul, or you're explaining it to me, let's say, because I know you know a lot about it, you and Jeremy. 
you're probably going to have to be very explicit, you know, about how you explain. Cause you're going to say, yeah, he was checked or something. I would be like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Check like checkbox? You know, I mean, I, I do know what that is guys. Just don't make too much fun of me, but, um, but that's the kind of thing with like prompts is you, you have to kind of assume that you're talking to something that may not know all the details, you know, so you gotta be very specific. Yeah. That's actually a really good way of putting it. So, so if I, if I, in this scenario where I'm asking this model or GPT or some AI to help me compose a response, and, and I have that data point. And you said that we're talking about organization data. So is this prompt engineering where I might want to say, hey, go look up something for this user's mailbox or some kind of Office 360 Microsoft graph data to re- influence the response? Is that where that code lives? You could. You could. No, this one is not doing that. Um, my Microsoft graph calls are actually a totally separate part of this app. Okay. Right. Okay. They're more of like you click on a data grid and there's, you know, tailwind traders and it'll go out and search and find chats and emails and files and stuff like that that are related. But what you just said, that gets into the, I don't know if it's an official term, but I call it prompt stuffing where, you know, you'll go and make a call to get some information about something stuff that info into the prompt and then it can give you some output, including even like Microsoft Graph APIs you could call. Um, So there's a lot of powerful things you can do there. But again, that's where we get to the, do you trust 100% of the APIs it's going to return that that's the one you actually need? Yeah, yeah. And are you allowed to expose that data wherever this is going to? Exactly. Yeah, 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 lots and of scopes. Right, and, yeah. yeah. But, but I'm, those requests come up all the out of the time, but I, I've heard it more than once where they want to start putting some intelligence around my corporate data or my personal data. And obviously there's a bunch Absolutely. of- Absolutely. Back to the subject matter yeah. expert conversation we had, but it's nice to know that at least it's possible. Yeah. And, and actually the build- going to say i'm pretty sure there's some big things coming up so <laughs> yeah. help with that. yeah the build keynote on day two has got some stuff where those scenarios you're talking about poor it's definitely worth seeing those demos play out I, I think the copilot aspect there's gonna be a few different options you can go down different paths which is gonna be i think it's gonna be really exciting to see what people do with that org data in, in that kind of way but like what you're saying dan of like pulling the data in your app calling the graph and then stuffing it into GPT and then asking it questions is one way of doing it. Like I've tried this even, you know, at a small scale, taking the transcript of a podcast and going, write me a paragraph that thanks the guests for coming on. And it looks at the transcript, picks out the key points of the transcript and then creates the thank you note based on the context of the conversation you have with them. And it's kind of nice, but then you've got to start, you know, people will start second guessing like, well, that was really sweet. They put that much effort into thanking me. And <laughs> and then you start to think, well, okay, he just used GBT to do that. He used AI. <laughs> and and I, I think there's going to be a lot of that swinging backwards and forwards on like, if people start sending emails that are three or four paragraphs long, whether people are like, oh, okay, that's generated. That someone hasn't really written that. <laughs> and, and then people, they'll be like, summarize that GPT and then turn it back to being one <laughs> sentence from it, you know, what it originally started to. And so it's going to be fascinating how this all pans out, I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think if you look at the job role of the sender, right? If it's a developer like me, there's in his four paragraphs, you know. <laughs> that was, that was scary. <laughs> I, I fully expect a really people, nice people thank you guys well. after we're done here. I, I, I want, de- I want detail. Up my game already. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair point because I do use it to, uh, like this tutorial I'm writing, I wrote it, all of it. I didn't use GPT for any of it. 
but I did because I'll take like a paragraph and say, can you make this simpler or can you make this you know, more concise or whatever? And sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I take it, though, and I'll plug it in. And to me, that's where the value really comes out, though. It's like I already have the idea. Just make it yeah. a little better. Yeah. And I think that I love that what Todd said, and I'm sure he stole it from somewhere else, but like the autopilot versus copilot, like it is working with you. It's not replacing you. And I think there's a lot in the media around that at the moment, but like I have copilot enabled in word online and, you know, I'm writing a, a spec document in a minute for something um, that won't, won't materialize for about a year. And it's really important to be concise. And, but what I've been doing is, um, like I'm not the concisest person first time around. I tend in the past, I've mind mapped to make myself more succinct and then wrote the document. But this time I decided to just write it. And I did the same thing and said, Copilot, can you, you know, shrink this down, make it one paragraph? And she did a really good job. It like it gutted it pretty, pretty well. I got rid of my colloquialisms and kind of put it succinctly. So I think as a copilot, it's actually super useful. I did that for, uh, we have an on-demand session that was recorded and I got an email and said, hey, the title can only be, I can't remember how many characters, but the body, it was almost like a tweet. It was a little longer, I think, but mine mine was longer. I'm a little more verbose. verbose. (laughs) Sounds like you, Jeremy. And so, yeah, I ran it through it and I'll have to admit, like the titles I got back, they were crap. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, no, no, that's not going to work. But the body, it has some good suggestions. So, you know, you just take yeah. a little bit of it and tweak it. Well, everyone can't wait to see, to kick the tires on this. Uh, there's a lot to learn, right? I, I can speak to GPT, but I'm certainly not an expert by any means. Me neither. So I, this, this is right right in the sweet spot. But again, exposing us, is, which is great. So with your history of teaching folks how to do things, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And I think, you know, we'll get your link in a second. But like the other advice I've been giving people is, you know, there is a lot out there and Twitter is definitely a minefield of people who think maybe they're educated enough giving like, here's the 10 tweet thread of AI tips and how do you, and and I'm like, can you just write a blog post I can read rather than having to go through conversations in Twitter. I do think the one thing I've been learning the most about is just by using Bing or bing.com slash new and, and replacing my search box habits with, actually engaging with the Bing chat and refining my searches. And that's been my way of learning how to become better with prompts, which I think as a developer, you know, what the scenarios you just talked about just then, it really mapped well to me. And so I'd encourage everyone to do that, whether you use bing.com new or I'm Google just announced Bard is uh, open to everyone there in 180 countries. Like I actually been comparing the two just to see how different they are responding or how the prompts engage. And it's kind of fascinating that they aren't converging. They seem to be diverging a fair bit in how they're operating, which is kind of cool. And it's another thing you can look at, well, I guess with my product management mind, can look at that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I play with both as well, just to kind of compare. I did that last night on something and yeah, sometimes one wins and sometimes the other is much better. So it depends. Yeah, yeah. What is the url that you can share and and then we can hold you to the day of this podcast is coming out on the 22nd you best have your yeah. tutorial ship dan you know you know actually i think the best way to get there is uh to actually go to learn.microsoft.com slash microsoft dash cloud because there's a hands-on tutorial section and it will be right there as soon as it's available mm. 
That's awesome. So that's probably actually the easiest. Um, if you really want to like refresh, 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 because it's not out there yet, <laughs> you might get a 404. <laughs> you can go to aka.ms slash openai dash ACS dash MS graph. And we didn't get a chance to talk about it, Jeremy. I know we're out of time, but I would encourage people, if you want to pull in organizational data, uh, graph calls are super cool, but also check out the uh, Microsoft Graph Toolkit because it will greatly simplify uh, some of this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're going to have Sebastian Levert back on the show to talk a bit more about some of those new toolkit things coming up in the, in the next few episodes as well. Cool. I, I just worked with him this week on some some new stuff. So, Yeah, lovely guy. He was in my team and nice, now he's a nice. PM owning all that stuff, which is cool. <laughs> how he's grown cool well look pleasure to chat dan as usual thank you so much for jumping on and paul um thank you for joining and enjoy your uh, trip to dusseldorf can't wait for the next thing Taz. i uh dan so i know you're just finished up but we'll get you on in another six months with the next great thing so it's great great chat thanks a lot thanks a lot awesome well, it was great to, great to meet you finally in person paul and uh great to see you again jeremy thanks for having me for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 